What's up, and welcome into the lead block episode like nine. I think we're on nine already. Um, happy Friday. Welcome into another episode. My name is Tyler Walters. I am your host alongside uh, my co-host here, Matthew Anderson. Matthew, what's up? Doing great, man. Doing great. And we got a special guest in the house. Uh, Brendan's buddy, James. Producer Brendan's buddy, James, is in town for the weekend. James, what's up? Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We're, we're throwing <laughs> him on the mic. Uh, getting him involved here. Great to <laughs> experience some uh, SEC football. Yeah, some SEC real football. football. So, yeah. So, James, you've never been to an SEC football game you were telling me earlier. I have not. It's my um, first, first game. Yeah, so it'll be exciting. We'll, we'll, we'll show you around the SEC. You'll love it tomorrow. Brendan and I have the, the pleasure of introducing you to the football in the South. That'll be fun. Um, so we'll start there, Matthew. Number nine, Florida coming into town this week. Uh, Five-point favorites to take on South Carolina at noon on Saturday. Um, they are playing on ESPN, I believe. Uh, ESPN, just regular old ESPN. Um, and, yeah, five. The, the thing that stood out to me most, just looking at this matchup on paper, Florida's only a five-point favorite. Yeah, it is kind of surprising. I expect them to be a little bit uh, more of a favorite than that. Yeah, I think, obviously, you got South Carolina coming off of beating Georgia, going to Athens last weekend, uh, beating Georgia, number three Georgia. Um, and I don't want to say people are giving South Carolina too much credit, but... It, it certainly feels that way. Yeah, it feels that way. If you watch this team from... Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. I think it's too easy for people to judge a team off of one week. Yeah. Um, and if you judge South Carolina's entire performance this year... Um, I don't it versus Florida's entire performance this year. I don't see Florida only winning by five points on paper. Um, now, obviously, I think there's plenty of chances South Carolina can win this game, but uh, yeah, I, I would expect that line to be somewhere around ten. Uh, but Florida's offense has struggled against competent defenses. Um, and LSU has a less than average defense in the SEC. Right. Uh, it, though Florida did score 28 points last weekend and Kyle Trask threw for 300 yards. So uh, Trask and Emory Jones, two quarterbacks for Florida. This is what we're going to see Saturday. Uh, they're going to mix in Emory Jones a lot. Um, and Emory Jones is going to be a guy who's running the ball more and Kyle Trask is sitting back in the pocket. It's kind of funny. Uh, There's a lot of talk about it at Muschamp's press conference this week, how their duo resembles the duo that South Carolina has with Holinsky and Joyner, and I think Joyner has played more snaps at quarterback than maybe the coaches would have wanted in the in the sense that Holinsky Joyner has been forced to play snaps because Holinsky was injured right. or, or hurt for a period of time, um, and, and I think they want Joyner to be more of you know. Let's use them in other ways as far as let's get them back there for five snaps a game and try to do something weird and make something happen. And last week we saw Joyner for you know most of the second half um, for the the crucial por- portion of the game, and he was really good at just game control, not making mistakes. Um, but, yeah, I saw there's a lot of similarities there with Trask and, and Jones and Holinsky and Joyner. Um, and the defense spoke a lot this week at at, at Muschamp's press conference. Uh, Ernest Jones and T.J. Brunson, um, Kobe Smith, and Kinlaw, and all of those guys kind of said that facing Holinsky and uh, Joiner have helped them prepare for this week. 
uh, because they see that every day in practice. They, they face two different quarterbacks, and South Carolina's been in the situation where, hey, like we have to keep both of these guys ready because you've already seen, you know, they use both of them. They've tried to use both of them a decent bit. Yeah, as a matter of fact, to go back to what you were saying on how they uh, expected you to carry on before the season, probably a little bit more how, like how he was used against Charleston Southern. Yeah. Remember you had him running the ball a good bit, really getting the fans excited because he's going on these long runs, and then you bring back in Alinsky, and then Bentley was already hurt, so he cheers them both on and, you know, offers them some expert, uh, not expert, but, you know, some uh, veteran experience. But, I, yeah, I also feel like that's how they were expecting to use him. Uh, I think this is going to be really interesting this week to see this battle of the trenches work because if Kinlaw and those guys did you see when Kinlaw was saying when they asked him about the game last week that he was he had been ready for it since the Monday prior yeah but I expect that that defensive line if they can really apply a lot of pressure there that could really uh mess up the whole Florida passing game but Florida also has a pretty good run game so we're gonna see how that turns out yeah I mean uh one thing that kind of stood out like who uh I think believe Ernest Jones said the other day uh a reporter asked him what he remembered from last year when South Carolina went to the Swamp and had a three-touchdown lead and blew it in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, just one of the more devastating losses that they've had in a while uh, outside of losing to just lower competition um, in, like, the Citadel in 2015. But it – and he said, you know, getting just – all what he remembered most was just getting, like, the ball ran all over them. They had – Florida had 300-plus yards of rushing last year. In that game, and that stuck out to him more than anything else. Was like, yeah, we just got dominated up front. Um, but this is a different defensive front we've seen this year for South Carolina. Like last year, they were they were good in a lot of spots, but this year they've been, I mean, great for the most part. You know, even when at Missouri, when the team struggled as a whole, the defensive front was good. And North Carolina at that game, they gave up points late in the game. They gave up two big drives. But they were on the field so much in that game. Uh, you can't. You can only ask so much. Your offense had to give them a little help there. Um, yeah, fatigue definitely plays a role here. And one thing that also to be excited about is that. Well, uh, one thing uh, also be excited about is that they've been able to do this without Kier Thomas, who's still been hurt. Yeah. And so they've really been able to move, make some things happen because I think with Kier being out, that's why Kobe's playing so much. But yeah. So. Yeah, I I thought Kobe had some interesting comments the other day. Um, he said one thing. He said the, the the most interesting thing he said to me was, uh, I think one of the reporters from Fox maybe in town, were asking kind of everybody about what they thought about the noon playing at noon. Um, this team practices in the morning. Yeah, they, eight a.m. right. Yeah, and they're in the building at six thirty. You know, they do a quick lift, head to practice, or however that's flipped around right there. And they're they're usually done uh, eleven eleven thirty. Um, and then they come up. It's kind of funny because the press conference starts at they, – they usually start rolling guys out about a quarter, 11, 11 o'clock. And these guys come up, and half of them, you know, they've all got polos on, but they're still wearing pads from leaving, <laughs> from leaving the practice field. So you don't see it on camera, but it's clear there's just some guy, some equipment guy downstairs just handing them polos and telling them to toss it on and run upstairs as soon as they finish, you know, walking off the practice field and they're still wearing pads and slip off the cleats and – throw on some slippers or something and and run upstairs um real quick but yeah they uh so they're up used to being up every morning and we've got a lot of obviously there's been a lot of controversy 
uh, I don't I don't know if it's quite deserved the term controversy, but backlash I guess towards media outlets in the SEC for not scheduling South Carolina for uh, this game to be a night game, and I I would have to agree with that uh, because when you look around the SEC, like the three South Carolina was up for either a noon spot, the three thirty spot on CBS, or the six o'clock spot on ESPN. And when you look at the two games uh, that got moved to more primetime positions, LSU at Mississippi State, what are you really going to get there? And Kentucky at Georgia, Georgia at home coming off of a you know one of the biggest upsets that they've ever experienced right. as a program. Um, I, I think it would have made more sense to stick a top-10 team and a team who had one of the biggest upsets in program history in a more primetime spot. Did you get a chance to see the TV ratings for that Georgia game? Oh yeah, they yeah. were they were like it really helped the South Carolina brand. But my bad, go back to what you were saying. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll we'll get back to that in a second. Um, and yeah, I like Kobe Smith just said like you know what like I like playing noon games, and uh, I think Ernest Jones had kind of the same train of thought was he uh, he said you know I get too antsy waiting around for night games. We like we're up every day, so like the weekend these guys are used to getting up at six, you know. 5, 5.30, whatever it is, for them to be at the football facility at 6.30 in the morning. Like, we're used to being up, and we're hitting at 8 o'clock, 8.30. Yeah. So for it to be a noon game, like, they're already sleeping a little later than they normally are during the week, and they're ready to go when a lot of teams, um, and Florida's one of them, practices in the afternoon. Um, mo- most teams actually practice in the afternoon. So it, it seems to me that the team is, like, very comfortable with the noon time slot and they feel like they can kind of catch other teams sleeping a little uh, early in the first quarter so that I mean that might prove to be a little bit of an advantage for South Carolina I, I usually I tend to think that team when they when teams step on the field they're ready to go yeah um, but I definitely think it you know plays into the mind of the player if you're used to playing you know if you're used to hitting at five days a week you hit people at five o'clock and now you have to go do it at noon it's going to feel a little different for your body. Your body's not, you know, used to that at, where, at noon. Whereas, you know, when you're hitting at 8 a.m., 8.30, and you only have to wait until noon, it's a lot, you know, a lot better, um, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And also with how you kind of hinted at there, when you're sitting in that a hotel room until an 8 o'clock game, then you're thinking you already know the game plan and you've been playing football your whole life, so you know all you do is go out there and play. But when you're sitting there, you might overthink some things. And so, therefore, by playing at 12 o'clock, it's like you wake up. Because I think, as a matter of fact, last week, although they played in Athens, they stayed in Atlanta. So, it's like, okay, but if I'm used to getting up, I go ahead and get up. We get to the stadium probably 9 o'clock for a 12 o'clock game, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. You go ahead and go out and play and do what you do best. Yeah, I think, actually, Brunson, someone in the – it might have been Brunson. Someone in the – one of the players said the other day, like, when you're staying in a hotel room and you have to wait for a night game, they're like, it sucks. Like, yeah. we want to get out of there. Like, you're – I mean, you're sitting in a hotel. Like, it's not your home. Like, it's not your football facility. Like, you know, here they can wake up and they just go to the facility um, versus just waiting around all day, you know, to kind of sit in a hotel room and watch other games maybe or, or just read over the playbook a bunch of times and you kind of over-prepare, like you were yeah, saying, yeah. and overthink it. You know, it's like when you're if you're studying for a test or something and you're, you just wake up and go and you've already prepared a lot, you have a lot better, you know, I, I've found with myself, you know, especially like when you do something like that, something you prepared for a lot and you just wake up and go do it versus it's in the afternoon and you have to wake up and you wake up and you just keep overthinking it throughout the day. You can miss some things. Um, so I think that definitely does help South Carolina a little bit. Um, but it's going to be what I, I think, like going back to the front seven, 
if Kinlaw can have the same kind of games that he's been having all year, and I think he will. I mean, he looked very locked in the other day. Um, if he can get pressure in Florida's offensive line and get Trask to move around a little and force him to throw the ball from his feet, we'll, like it'll help South Carolina find out what kind of athlete that he is. And B, last week, the coverage was very good. There's a reason you didn't hear J.C. Horn's name called a lot last week. Because the ball wasn't thrown at him. Right. I mean, there you go. That's you're a cornerback. You don't want your name called at all, unless you you know happen to make an interception. Yeah, this is a pick six. Yeah, uh, like obviously, like Mokuamu had you know one of the best games maybe ever from a defensive back here. Like three interceptions. You can't ask for any more. Yeah, it's um, like a dream come true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a pick six on the road, like just an incredible performance out of him. So they don't get much better. But uh, yeah, like. You gotta this this front seven has been playing so well, um, and something I noticed the other day when we were looking at I was looking at stats for the story I was writing this preview I was writing for Florida, uh, which is on the Carolina News and Reporter. If you want to go read it, help me <laughs> out, give me some clicks. But uh, yeah, that Ernest, we've spoke you know recently, previously early in the season a lot how we felt like Ernest Jones' name was getting called a lot uh, because Brunson was demanding the our South Carolina's other middle linebacker kind of demanding the the double teams and the attention and Ernest was able to take you know his one shed his one block and find it find a ball carrier um and I look back and Brunson's numbers are you know right there with with Ernest Jones is a leading tackler he's at 50 total tackles I think yeah Brunson's right behind him he's like three or four behind him so you're getting a lot of effort out of your Linebackers and Brunson's came on strong in the last two games. Um, he had a good outing in Kentucky, and he had a big hit last week against uh, Georgia, yeah. which the South Carolina Athletic Department <laughs> has tweeted out about five, six times now. It looks, I mean, huge hit. It's a great hit. Yeah. So and when you light someone up like that, that sticks out to the next team on film. Right. So, so there you go. And I mean, Brunson um, has played well. And it just, I mean, I, I do still kind of feel like we haven't heard his name called as much as previous seasons. But I think that also speaks to how well Ernest Jones has played this well, uh, this year. So, and, and on that note, you know, I was kind of, I was sitting down the other day, and I'm going back through my interviews to, to look at, you know, what, I'm, what quotes I'm using for this article. And I got to say that I've been at, I think I've been at every, press conference this year except one or two um maybe yeah at alabama was the first one i was able to go to this year and i've been to everyone since i've heard ernest jones speak a few times now by far is the player who has most impressed me in the way he speaks uh, a about his team uh and not just like as teammates not a general statement but his understanding of his team and him knowing what roles other guys around him have um, and, and being able to call that out when he's asked a question about his playmaking ability to say, yeah, I was able to do that because Kinlaw did this on that play or this person did this uh, in this role, so they did that to free it up for me. Um, and he spoke a lot about how the other day about how his defensive line has just created a lot of opportunity for him to make plays this year. But yeah, I mean, it was just shocking to me as I'm going through this. I'm realizing like how impressive this kid is. He's a sophomore. This is a guy you want to staple your defense to. A is your middle linebacker, so he, this is your this is your quarterback of your defense. Uh, he's your leader on the field. He's the coach 
in pats of your defense. Um, obviously, Brunson has more of that role now because he's the senior. Yeah. And they're on the on the field together. But Ernest, like, South Carolina is going to have a lot to look forward to with Ernest Jones just because the kind of, like, player he is and how mentally strong he is. And I've just been, I can't say, like, enough about how impressed I have been with his answers. And, he, and he's well thought out. And he doesn't really, a lot of times when you ask people questions, I think I'm like this myself. Uh, where you ask someone a question and they they take a second and then they answer, he's just boom straight from the hip. Yeah, and he means everything he says. Like it's not like he says something and it, and it hasn't been thought out at all. Quick process of thought says something very clear and just a, always never gives a bad answer. Always gives an honest answer. And this is a guy like as I'm sitting there listening to the other day, I can just this is the kind of person who's going to be on, you know, this kid will be great yeah. in some sports cast down the road if that's, you know, what he ends up doing. Like, you know, Marcus Spears or uh, like um, Booger or the other defensive SEC guys that ESPN and other places have. This is like, I mean, when I'm hearing him talk the other day and he's got, I don't, like him and Marcus kind of have the same, uh, like, enunciations of certain yeah, words. Yeah. And they're very, like, they, they enunciate very Similarly, um, and like I, that was the first guy that came to my mind. Like, here's a defensive guy who's well spoken, and like, and it just makes all like so much sense about how fast their thoughts are on the field. I mean, I just thought that was really cool from from Ernest. Yeah, that's really a reporter's dream. Whenever you have that, because it's not like they have to fish oh, yeah. them out for information, and it's clear, so it's really good sound bites. Also, one thing to think about is with him getting that job. I think Sherrod Green got hurt and he stepped yes. up for it, but his preparedness has probably been one of the reasons that he was able to step right into it. And then when think about it, when Sherrod got back to being healthy, he's been able to maintain this spot and really to blossom from it. So probably that preparedness, knowing where everybody is and stuff, he probably spent a lot of extra time at the facility this summer and probably last in the spring, making sure he understands everybody's role. So whenever his time came, he was able to... I guess, like, progress. Also, one thing to think about, you haven't seen much of Eldridge Thompson this year either, and he's, a, like, a fifth-year senior. I think last year he had a medical red shirt. So, I don't know, something about that. But, yeah, definitely, Ernest Jones is definitely a spectacular linebacker. And TJ will be out of here uh, next season, so he'll be able to step out. One also thing, to funny note, I played with TJ Brunson at Richland Northeast High oh, School. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so he's, he's kind of used to this whole double team. Like, I remember we started off the year like 0-2 or 0-3. I can't imagine him not demanding double teams. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. And he was like, dude, I'm exhausted. And it was like three games <laughs> in because it's like you have the tight ends and offensive linemen going at him. Then you got somebody trying to chop block him. Yeah, I used to play tight end. It was terrible going against him in practice. So I'm not surprised <laughs> with what he's done. TJ used to play baseball, too, over there, right? Yeah. yeah. My – um. One of the professors in the J school is telling me her son played with uh, with TJ over at, at Richland Northeast, and she is, God bless her. When she has to read my sports stuff, she's like, Tyler, I don't really know what any of this means. <laughs> I can, I, I'm, I'm gonna help you in everything I can. But yeah, she she spoke very highly of the kind of person TJ was, and all of her interactions with him, with her and her son. Um, yeah, TJ's a great kid. Yeah. So I mean, South Carolina right now from. Every, like you have a good kind of linebacker culture, so to speak, where you have very smart, articulate guys on the field who are making plays and people who can represent your university and your program like very well, which I mean I think is important for a linebacker. Uh, I mean that's someone who's kind of the spokesperson of the defense, so to, so to say, so to speak. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about the, from the press conference the other day. 
I, I, I mean, this is the first time Muschamp said this story that I can recall this year. Um, so South Carolina switched to more of a 4-3 defense in the last few weeks. Yeah, I saw that. And it seemed to work for them a lot better. Uh, I mean, they shut down Kentucky, and they they gave up a lot of yards to Georgia, uh, but they shut down Georgia in the red zone and in crucial plays and kept them from scoring. Um, and you're asking a lot out of any defense to stop Georgia's offensive line and, and their quarterback and um, – yeah, South Carolina played great, but Muschamp said he made the decision to switch to the four and three in the locker room in Missouri when he was sitting by himself. He said, "I was." Uh, a reporter asked him, "He was like, when when did you make the decision to go? You know, switch to four three? He said, "In locker room, sitting in the locker room by myself at Missouri, trying to figure out how to make this team better because we just lost a game." So there you go. Muschamp's taking a lot of heat this year, um, and we've noted that a lot, but. That's the kind of dedication you're getting from your coach. I think a lot of times people lose the fact, like, the sight that just because your coach is doing bad does not mean he's not trying. So, and now Muschamp's kind of evaluations and decisions, uh, I mean, last week just solidifies, like, I guess the last two games have kind of solidified uh, the progress that this team has made. You, You know, one and three start, that's terrible. Now... You do the things necessary to beat a team that you should beat in Kentucky, um, but that a lot of people were worried about. But South Carolina is far more talented than Kentucky this year. Um, and then you beat a team that you probably shouldn't in Georgia just because of how prepared you were for the game. Um, and that seemed to be the big thing to me is how prepared South Carolina was for that game and and how well things went during their bye week to give them an extra week to prepare for, for Georgia. Uh, I mean, that's... I mean, that's all you can hope for as a coach when you make a decision like that for it to come out and immediately work. It's crazy because this is why it's so important to really, you know, as you could say, take the stairs when it comes to the coaching because through his time as a graduate assistant, the defensive position coach, I can't remember exactly specifically which one, then a defensive coordinator, now a head coach, he has like a lot of stuff in his back pocket that he can use. And so it's kind of like in his archive. So whenever it's time to use it or make a big decision, he knows defense so well that he's able to do it on the fly. And then not only do that, but able to train the whole defense in season on what it, what would be, you know, best for them. And them being able to like understand information and go for, uh, use it on the playing field. So that's a big change by the defense. But I'm glad to see that they're able to get that message relayed throughout the rest of the team, and especially if it works to your favor. Also, I did some research on the 4-3 defense, and it's really set up to allow, like, your linebackers to, like, kind of show off there. Yeah. And then the defensive linemen, their jobs, I guess, as always, is to make sure that offensive linemen don't get up to their linebackers. And so if everybody does their job, though, as a 4-3 is a great switch. Yeah, and that's kind of like uh, Muschamp said, you know, we made this decision because we realized that we don't have our best guys on the field at all times. Like, this is going back to when you were talking about Sherrod Green. Sherrod has played very well when he's been on the field, and they felt like he wasn't on the field enough. So what do you do? You go back, you sit down, you think about things. Okay, how do we get a guy like Ernest, a guy like TJ, a guy like Sherrod on the field at the same time so they can all – they are the three best players, you know, we have at that position. How do we get them on the field? They have performed better than anyone else on this team on our roster. How do we get them on the field at the same time? And that takes some reevaluating and some relooking at schemes and stuff. And you have to realign. And South Carolina has done that, and it's worked for them. I mean, they and it's you know it, we we just said you know they sh- they just dominated Kentucky, and I think that's the first step. Was you make a big coaching decision like that to switch things up? You go into Kentucky and you dominate them like that. 
then you show your defense that they have the capability to do everything that they've ever been told that they can do. When they were told things like on recruiting trips, like "Come here, we're gonna we're gonna win, and you're gonna be a part of it." I mean, a, a win like that after a decision like that just only strengthens their confidence. I think, and I, I mean, I think that helped them a lot going into Georgia. I think most definitely, and also, I could not imagine Kentucky getting off the Kentucky's in Lexington, right? Uh, yes. Lexington, Lexington, Lexington. Okay, so for a whole week, they, they were practicing in Lexington, Kentucky, going against a 3-4 defense. And all of a sudden, they get off the bus, and you see South Carolina's playing a 4-3. I'm sure that messed up, especially it, was, it wasn't even their starting quarterback, too. They're in, like, third or fourth string now. Yeah, so it's like he's not even the starter. Well, I mean, obviously, he started for that game. But going into the season, he's like now he's looking at a completely different defense. I'm sure that messed him all the way up. And that's probably why Kentucky didn't hardly have hardly any uh, – offense in the game against South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, the only kind of other thing I want to – A, like, what's your prediction for this game? What do you what do you really think is going to happen? I say Florida wins by t- – yeah, somewhere between that 10 and 7 range. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't – I think it's hard for South Carolina to – it is just a very difficult task to ask any team to beat two top ten teams in a row. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, that's, that's a huge ask. Everybody's like, oh, it's just Florida. No, that, there's some serious issues. Yeah, Florida's good. So, But I do think South Carolina matches up. I think you're going to get a defensive, like, just a defensive struggle. I don't think anyone's going to score more than 22 points in this game. Yeah. Um, because Florida's offense, when they have played a, a defense, um, and South Carolina's defense has performed much better than the LSU's this year, um, when Florida has been faced with a defense, they have not really been able to score a lot. And, I mean, you look, they played Towson and Tennessee, and they put up, like, 30 points each against those games. So they're putting up, like, 30 a game, but they're playing very not, like, they don't, they're not playing a lot of playmakers on defense. And LSU has a couple guys, but they just haven't performed well yet. And they're still kind of young on defense, too, in, in Baton Rouge. But, um it's probably the best defense Florida's going to play so far this year. At Auburn's, Auburn's maybe half a step ahead of South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I got like South Carolina, and if you look at the SEC totals and stats, South Carolina's right there, and they're in that like the five six range, you know, right behind the the Bamas and Floridas, and they're they're right up there. And I think the last two weeks have only pushed them up a little bit farther because we're seeing the the playmakers. You're you're seeing new playmakers come out, um, like. Mukwamu, who kind of struggled some at some points earlier in the year, the DBs did as a unit, um, and you see J.C. Horn go shut a guy down all day, and his name not get called, and then you obviously have Kinlaw, who's been a baller every week, and Shrag Green, who's getting involved more, and Brunson and Jones, and you're kind of getting everyone involved. And South Carolina's defense, I think, is is right on that like sub you know le- sub premium level in the SEC. Um, so I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be able to stop Florida a lot, but the question really for me is how well is Kalinsky gonna play against Florida's defense, who is gonna be right up there with Georgia's defense as far as I would put those equals. I think they're both of those are better than Alabama's defense that they played this year. And Kalinsky had a pretty good game against Alabama, but let's not pretend like this is a normal Nick Saban defense because it hasn't been. Yeah, there's a lot of freshmen out there. I'm interested to see how Kalinsky is, is that knee still bothering him. And, and if it's not, well, <clears throat> probably not 100%, but we're going to hope he's, like, closer to 90. He, he did practice this week, but he was wearing a brace at practice. Okay. 
And then I'm also interested to see if they can get Shy Smith involved. He's really he's one of the better receivers in the uh, SEC. I was talking to one of the guys, and they say he's probably the more most naturally talented receiver, even more talented than Brian Edwards. Now that is just opinion based, but he's definitely extremely naturally talented. But they just haven't really been able to get the ball to him this year. So you get him the ball, he's in the slot, he's real elusive, so it's really hard to like he can make somebody miss in the phone booth. So if they can get if Alinsky's, um if Olenski is well, hopefully they can get uh, Shai Smith really get going throughout this season. I'm interested to see how they're going to balance this offense this week because your run game has worked for you the last couple of games, but you still want to mix in some of those deep shots you took against Alabama. And Shai Smith's a guy to look for, I think. Uh, Olenski found Brian Edwards last week. and yeah. I mean, it was like, what, a 42-yard touchdown? Edwards ran about 20 of those yards. Yeah. Great throw, great catch. Um, so I'm interested to see... If how often they look to go downfield against Florida's defense and how often they look to test them and how well the offensive line plays again this week to open up the run game for Holinsky. I think if Holinsky throws the ball under 27 times, South Carolina yeah. probably wins this game. Okay. Uh, you know, and if he can, if you know, doesn't throw for four picks. So uh, you have to count, you count that in as well. Something to say about that too. Also, if they can at least get those throws there, it makes Florida have to respect the deep game, which will open up the running game a little bit because then the safeties won't have to be, won't be so close to the line of scrimmage, but it would, especially with being Florida, they kind of pride themselves on being DBU. If they feel like their their uh, cornerbacks are not being challenged, they'll for sure man up on the outside and play the, let it play out. Yeah, um, I, I do agree with you though. I think we'll move on from this, but I do think South, uh, Florida is, is going to edge South Carolina. I think it's going to be a little more than five points. Um, we'll go around the SEC. Not much, not really. This is this is the best game in the SEC this week. Uh, South Carolina and Florida. I think the most interesting anyway. Um, you got Kentucky at Georgia at six on ESPN. Um, I don't think Georgia's gonna have a problem at all. Like I said, they were just biggest upset probably that they've had in maybe forever uh, last weekend when they lost to South Carolina, and they get Kentucky, who has been Kentucky would have been a decent team this year, I think, had they not lost their starting quarterback, Terry Wilson. Um, and they, Kentucky's just had a hard go with injuries this year, and they underperformed a little. Uh, that spread's 24-and-a-half. I think Kentucky does cover it, but Georgia probably wins by – actually, I think that spread's up to 25-and-a-half now. Um, I think Georgia probably wins by 21 points there. Something to note about this game, uh, Kirby Smart is not – He's not the most calm guy. I cannot imagine what he was like this week in practice, especially with that he felt like the South Carolina defensive line played a lot better than their offensive line. So I'm sure they had a physical week of practice. I feel like Georgia to come out here and really oh, yeah. some people this off. was this this Georgia I mean, Georgia played like Clemson did at North Carolina that's yeah uh, a couple weeks ago. And Clemson got lucky and got out of it and Georgia got caught. Um but I think they're Georgia's about to have a similar awakening that Clemson did against Florida State. I mean, Georgia's not going to throw 55 points up against Kentucky. Yeah. I find that hard to believe. I think they'll probably score, like, you know, 30-something, 40 maybe, and Kentucky will find a few scores here and there. Um, but because they don't have the offense that Clemson has. Right. But, you know, they I feel like they're going to have a similar awakening. So that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on maybe, um, at least for the first quarter or so. Uh, Auburn's at Arkansas noon on SEC Network. Nothing much to say there. One thing to say about this you one is, something? yeah, a little something. You know, Gus Malzahn, well, Chad Morris got his offense from Gus Malzahn, so it'll be interesting seeing those two. That'll be kind of, yeah. Yeah, because it's like the guy who taught you the whole offense before he before Chad was at Clemson and all the other places, and now he's facing him in SEC competition. 
And if Chad doesn't start winning some games, it will be one of his yeah, last Ch- games. Chad, our, people in Arkansas are not very happy with Chad Morris. Um, LSU at Mississippi State, I uh, kind of alluded to it just a second ago. But uh, I don't think this is going to be a problem for LSU at all. Um, I think their offense is just too good. They'll probably give up some points. Yeah. Uh, maybe give up 20. I don't think Mississippi State is – I don't think Mississippi State has scored as many on LSU as Vanderbilt did. Uh, not to say that Mississippi, Vanderbilt is better than Mississippi State. I think LSU will just try to find a way to correct those things. Um, but, yeah, that, that'll, that won't really be close, I can't imagine. Missouri-Vanderbilt may be fun for, like, three minutes. Uh, Missouri has been very understated. They are actually, I did say, we said the other day that we would go back and check to see their status with the SEC championship. They cannot play in the SEC championship. It's banned from all postseason play, which really sucks for the kids who were there to be paying for the sins of the previous regime. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just NCAA being the NCAA. Um, and I would like to see, I mean, Missouri could easily earn the right to, to play in Atlanta this year, and then for them to miss out on it would suck. Um, they're only ranked 22nd. Which is I kind of find BS. They they did lose first game of the year against um, Wyoming, right? Wyoming, but you go down and look at their schedule and the way they beat teams, and you look at Texas A and M, who did fall out of the top twenty-five, I believe. Um, yes, they did. You look at Texas A and M, who was ranked last week at a five hundred ball club. They were twenty-fifth. You you're not putting Missouri over A like I'd pick Missouri ten times out of ten to beat A and M right now. Uh, so. I don't think they're being appreciated enough. That one's at four on the SEC Network. Um, Good to see Kelly B play. Yep. Speaking of A&M, they're at Ole Miss this week. That one probably, I mean, A&M very underperforming, and Ole Miss just sucks. So, 730, SEC Network. Uh, Tennessee, Alabama. What's your instant reaction here? I remember the days when this was a great rivalry. Yeah. Those days have passed. How many? I mean, two is probably going to throw for maybe seven, eight touchdowns this week. The receivers will be back to playing. Uh, what is what, it? Rock paper scissors. Rock paper scissors going, going for a long ball for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. That was a funny storyline. Wait, is this game? Where's this game at? Uh, it's in Tuscaloosa. Oh, and the walk-ons will get a lot of uh, attention for Alabama. Yeah, go get yeah. them in. They'll be uh, throwing in probably kids, dads, and parents out there. <laughs> That'll be a terrible game. Um, Clemson at Louisville. Uh, the other team from the upstate this week. Number three, Clemson, they fell last week again after LSU just has a better resume than they do. And um, and we'll start there. So I was mentioning this to Matthew before the show, Joel Clack kind of talking. Am I too close to the mic? We good? All right. Um, Joel, I feel like I keep bumping it. Joel Clack uh, talking on Colin Coward this week and saying, you know, that we wouldn't be – Clemson wouldn't be – rank third if they weren't Clemson or Alabama, if they didn't have those tags on them. And i got to agree with them. When you look at a team like Penn State, who actually has a good win on their schedule, beating Iowa last week, and they've the middle-of-the-road teams that they played are still better than any of the teams Clemson played, um, with the exception being A&M, who is a middle-of-the-road team, and they are just as middle-of-the-road as some of the teams Penn State's played. Yeah. So... So you look at that, and Clemson does not have a good win. Um, they've struggled like a decent bit compared to the talent that they have. Um, so you're really crediting an underperforming team who hasn't won a big game um, versus like a Penn State who's number seven or a Wisconsin who's number six. 
who have done nothing but steamroll teams, and Ohio State, who's not in the top three. Are you kidding me? Ohio State's been the best team in the country this year, and um, here you have Bama sitting at one, who we've talked about underperformed quite a bit on defense, and you have Clemson sitting at number three. And I mean, I thought Clapp made an interesting point about you know they, those two teams would not be in the top four if it were if the same resumes belonged to Missouri and um, Arkansas. So, you know, what are we doing? What you almost have to do is go ahead and put Penn State and uh, Wisconsin those in that top spot until they lose out. You know, uh, obviously not gonna do this because you know the Clemson last year thing. But it's like just go ahead and put them up there, and if they get knocked out of the Big Ten, they do so because right now, like you said, they've definitely earned it more. Something to also note: Louisville, Clemson has never lost to Louisville. They are five and zero in this series, I think, since Louisville joined the ACC. They were in the Big East, right? Yes, they were in the Big East. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I gotta agree with them. Like you, you like what? Like I don't know. It's it's frustrating, and it's frustrating. I have this further down in my notes. Um, <laughs> to see Wisconsin not getting the credit that they deserve because they shut out just like everyone. They're they're not letting up any you can't get better than scoring 30 40 points if not more and not allowing any points like against a lesser opponent. Like you cannot do better than allowing zero points. So, um, I mean they smoked Michigan at home and they just beat Michigan State pretty handily. Um, the only struggle they had was Northwestern. Um, this year, and I mean that's just a game that's always kind of close and gritty. Big Big Twelve football. Yep. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of the Big Twelve, or excuse me, Big Ten, is that your middle. You have a little bit of the SEC, like your middle of the road teams can go beat these top ten teams. So there's always those kind of things that happen in the Big Ten. Um, things that you don't see in conferences, you know, uh, like the ACC, which just in conference just kind of sucks as a whole. Remember, like three years ago. When you had Louisville, who was good, and FSU, who was good, and that might have been 2016 when Clemson won their first. Yep, that was definitely 20. Yeah, because they lost the year before in 2015. Yeah, and you, like, like you go. And to they were they were being talked about as like the next like rival to yeah. the SEC. And I sat, you know, and I I'm an like claimed SEC homer. I always will be, and this is like the greatest football conference in the collegiate football and. In the world, it will continue to be forever. It always has been. <laughs> I mean, the only team conference that ever challenges is the Big Ten. Right. Um, and you look at, like, I, I mean, I laughed then, but I cannot believe that people thought Bobby Petrino wasn't going to screw up at Louisville and get fired, and that Jimbo wouldn't leave for a bigger job when it came, because believe it or not, there are bigger jobs in Florida State, it, all of the jobs in the SEC, I think, with the exception of, you know, a few of them. Um, and you only only Clemson has remained solid. Yeah, they've been the only one to be able to remain in there because at that time you had the likes of uh, DeAndre Francois and Derwin James. That was a good Florida State team at that point. Then you go over there to Louisville where you had Lamar Jackson, and I cannot think of the guy's name. He plays defensive back for the Packers now. He was like one of the top corners of that game whenever they played. You know I know what I'm talking who about? you're talking about, but I'm not going to be able to give you that name either. And then, um, you, and then you had Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams. So, yeah, the ACC was at their prominence. I will still say one of the best games college football I've ever been to was that Clemson-LSU game that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, not Clemson-LSU, Clemson-Louisville. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was like they, they can't maintain. It's just like the whole – did you ever see the, the thing with the Popeyes and Chick-fil-A? It's like Popeyes had a really good chicken sandwich, but they couldn't maintain Chick-fil-A's <laughs> consistent. <laughs> it's a while. Oh, that's a great quote. I love that. Yeah, um – 
But yeah, so Clemson, they're 24 point favorites, so they'll probably win by 20, like maybe 50. Um, <laughs> maybe 50. Baylor, three and a half point uh, underdogs on the road at Oklahoma State. Baylor's undefeated still. Um, they're 6 0. Five six and I believe. It's nice to see that program be able to get turned around after uh, with all that happened with the sexual scandal. Yeah, so, it, which, that was rough there for a while. Yeah, I didn't think we'd ever see Baylor back. I honestly didn't. I didn't. I think, thought they were gone and just forever. Yeah, I thought that was going to be you know, kind of like an SMU situation. Also, yeah. you saw Sean Oakman got drafted. You know, the big number two guy for Baylor. Yes, he got drafted in the XFL. XFL. And also going back to that Louisville thing, the cornerback named Jair Alexander. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, Baylor. I, I really didn't think we would see him back, especially not this quick. I, I thought they'd be down and out for another 30, 40 years. Um, but here they are, uh, and they're playing Oklahoma State this week. Um, That's Mullet guy, right? What's his name? Mike Gundy. There you got go. Mike Gundy in the – I got – my notes, I always kind of write stuff to make myself laugh a little. Literally, my notes say today, eight, number 18 Baylor, plus three and a half at Oklahoma State. 4 p.m. on Fox, Gundy Mullet. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't miss yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you can't mention Oklahoma State and not talk about uh, Gundy's Mullet. So, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of on the side of Oklahoma State. They're 4-2 and two right now. Yeah. Um, kind of underperformed. Another team that's underperformed a little this year. They can definitely bounce back and have some bigger games. They have Bedlam at the end of the year with OU. Um, and I, I don't think they'll win that game, but this team could win nine games. Yeah. So, the, but they got to start here. Um, and Baylor is—I really haven't watched a lot of Baylor. I haven't either. I know their head coach is Matt Rule. Yeah, Matt Rule. Well, uh, he was a what? he was at Temple and then back Miami, right? Yep, back to back wins at Temple. And when they hired him, I was like, "That's your guy." But I think he came and probably set that program straight, and now he's got him on up and up. You ever think they'll be competitive with like the Oklahomas? Of I the mean, world? they can be. Like they were like. Five six years ago with our Bryles and I mean maybe longer than that, um, with our Bryles and and that whole thing and they were looking like Oregon with the jerseys. Yep. And they were the best team in the Big Twelve for like three years straight. You know there was a time not too long ago when Baylor had a Heisman Trophy winner. And that is right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, you, you think about that and how far that this kind of scan the scandal has just dropped them. Um, and. I'm not blaming anyone but Baylor for that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they've they've made a significant comeback this new in this new regime and Matt Rule and credit to him for getting Baylor's feet back under him so quickly. Uh, so we'll see how that goes for them. I I, I think Oklahoma State's going to be fine there. Um, Herm Edwards, Arizona State uh, at number thirteen, number seventeen Arizona State at number thirteen Utah this weekend. Uh, pretty good game in the in the Pac-12. There, you're going to struggle to find some some really good games throughout the day this week. Um, you got, like I said earlier, South Carolina, Florida, and then you don't have much. Um, you have Arizona State and Utah. That's going to be a pretty good game. Um, I don't think the noon game on Fox is any going to be any good. I think Oklahoma's playing West Virginia on Fox at noon. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even put that on the rundown because I didn't care that much to talk about it. Um, I don't. That's just kind of the game I think you're getting there. Uh, Arizona State. Speaking of that game, Arizona State. It's five and one, and so is Utah. Utah just yeah. upsets me. Two five and one. Because every year I would love to see Utah uh, be the team to make it out of the Pac-12, make it to the playoff, but they can't just seem to beat Southern. Cal. I agree with you. Like it'd be great to see in the college football playoff the Utah. Where's that mascot? The Utes. The Utes. Utes. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna make it with a mascot like that. But. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be nice to see. Yeah, the Utes. The Utes. They got like. I mean. The guy's a mountain man. He looks a lot like the West Virginia Mountaineer. 
Yeah. Really. Um, and uh, if but that just kind of reminds me of Mike Leach talking about a month and a half ago in his press conference about who would win in a, uh, a Pac-12 like battle royale mascot. <laughs> well, the Ute. If he well, if he's got a rifle, that's a problem. <laughs> so uh, Arizona State and Utah at Utah. Uh, Utah are 13 and a half point favorites. Um, Arizona State's only losses to Colorado, who is three and three team. It was, I thought we were going to see kind of more out of Colorado this year, um, and, and in years coming, I, I I want Colorado to be good because I think like college football at Colorado is so fun, mainly because of their entrance, and you have like eight guys around a buffalo yeah, running yeah, it around the right. field. Um, last year they had their their mascot, not the live mascot, the like the stuffed mascot suit guy get hit in the groin with a t-shirt for, out of a t-shirt cannon. That was a great story. I think he got stretchered off. Uh, that video is on the internet somewhere. Chip Chip the uh, Buffalo is his name if you want to YouTube that. Um, and I mean, Herm's doing it, dude. I didn't really, I laughed when, I was on the side of laughing when Herm Edwards came back to football. Yeah. Like, no way. But he's in a good conference to do it. Um, Arizona State has been good before. I think it appeals to recruits because we all know the kind of the Arizona and Arizona State, what you're getting there is the kind of you're looking for the guys like Gronk who want to party and play sports. Definitely. And I don't think that I don't think those two things are hard to find um, in an athlete. And you are able to recruit. And Herm's been a great leader of men, and he has a team last year who did pretty well, and he's made them even better this year. And I'll tell you what, he probably, when he goes into those living rooms, tells uh, players and play, uh, players' parents, like, I know what it's like to play in, not to play, I think he did play in NFL. Yeah, he? oh yeah. But it's like, I also know what it's like to be a coach, so I can kind of instill in you what you might need. I have some connections, so if you're as good as we think you are, that's why we're offering you the scholarship, we might be able to get you to the NFL, or at least make, give you, like, make you the best version of you so that you can do whatever you want to with your talents. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about him having those connections. Um... I mean, I think all these guys have connections, and I, I tend to think that scouts do their jobs to find yeah. anyone anyway. But Herm calls a scout up a guy that doesn't get drafted and says, hey, come take a look at this guy. Yeah, I get undrafted. There's plenty of scouts out there who owe Herm Edwards favors, I'm sure. Yeah. So there you go. And uh, HB, oh, I forgot to mention this earlier. I have it for in the Florida notes. Florida's got like a – I was watching a little bit of it last night. They have this like twenty four seven like kind of hard knocks esque thing on HBO. I saw that. I didn't watch it though, but it's you, a good I watched a little bit of it. It was pretty good, and they did it. I thought it was done over the summer, and they were releasing them during the fall. No, they're up to date, just like hard knocks are. Like they were. That was Florida's premiere right before the Towson game. Yep. Um, and I mean, they were up to date, and I watched a little bit of that last night. Arizona State is on next week, I think, and I think Penn State's came out the last night or something, two nights ago maybe. And uh, Washington State is October the 23rd. That's next Wednesday, I think. Can't miss that one. Yeah, you got your obvious reasons. You're going to have to watch that one. Um, and, yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty cool. Check it out. If you like just learning behind-the-scenes football, if you like hard knocks, I was about to say hard and knocks you like college, college football, might as well watch it. Just see kind of some programs around the country. 
Um, on that note, I saw they did it a couple years back. I think last year in Michigan, and like two years back they did it with Florida State. So if you ever want to hear about like a quarterback guy going in on quarterbacks, obviously Dan Mullen does that. But Jimbo Fisher coaching up DeAndre Francois when I think he was a freshman or sophomore. So you've watched this like? Oh, do you you really like it? I mean, that was oh, the yeah. first time I'd seen it. I really enjoyed that. I haven't seen this one. I really enjoyed that Florida State one. I'm pretty sure it's Florida State, and then Notre Dame had one too. Okay. So I was checking those out, get to see a little bit more about uh, what's the head coach Brian. From Notre Dame, Brian Kelly. Yeah, Brian Kelly. Thank you. Uh, you get, get to learn, <laughs> get to learn a little bit more about that. But yeah, it really takes you through like the week in the life of a student athlete and stuff like that, and what goes on behind the scenes. We brought James in for a reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right, completely useless. <laughs> one the only. We're we're on to Michigan number sixteen best game in the Big Ten this week. Uh, number sixteen Michigan at number nine Penn State. Uh, Michigan kind of an understated tough schedule this year. Very much so. So I mean, they played Wisconsin at in Camp Randall, played Iowa at home, um, on the road in Happy Valley, and I can't remember if they were home or away, but obviously they have Ohio State uh, at the end of the season. Um, I don't see Michigan winning. No, it's it's hard to go into Happy Valley at night. It's gonna be a whiteout, I'm sure. Oh That's yeah, it's a hard place to go. One hundred ten thousand people, and you just you can't see. Everything looks like just a white screen like you're looking at it's crazy that's insane I, oh god i'd give a left leg to go yeah i mean that's one i i've i definitely want to get to a penn state wideout at some point in my lifetime but i mean I, I just think penn state's playing better and maybe this does help them with the rankings but the ap is not crediting the big 10 at all right now with their teams they're they're three undefeated teams ohio state and wisconsin and Penn State, and it doesn't help that the SEC has Alabama and LSU who are undefeated, and until last weekend, Georgia and Florida. Um, but you, I, I, I want to see those teams push in to the top four and push out a team like Clemson who does not have the resume that after Penn State wins this game, they won't have the resume that Penn State has. I'm, I'm going to keep going back to this poll. Well, we've been doing it the last like five shows. It just bothers the crap out of me. Penn State with a big win against Michigan, and they just beat Iowa. Wisconsin, a big win against Michigan. Michigan State dominated everyone else. Ohio State, who's just steamrolled everyone, um, who hasn't really had a big, huge game yet, but the level of competition they played have just have been equal with Alabama and Clemson. Um, and I want to see those teams push up in there. Uh, so maybe we'll get that out of the Big Ten. After, maybe Penn State will kind of get some respect there. Um, Harbaugh is in trouble. I mean, I don't. I'm not seeing a lot of clamoring for his job on Twitter. I don't follow a lot of Michigan people. Yeah. That's probably one reason. But I can't imagine Harbaugh staying. If he's not gone this year, you give him one more. You have every year. It's the same old tune. Like twenty, like. 30% of ESPN picks him to be in the top four. Yep. The other 70% picks him to just miss it. Uh, and you have Harbaugh and Michigan come out with great expectations and lose big games. So, I mean, he had similar things at Stanford. Like, yeah, he had great teams at Stanford, but was he, he didn't play for championships because he lost the big ones before he got there. 
Yeah, I mean, his most success has really been uh, in the NFL, at least getting to the Super Bowl, not winning one. So I I imagine if he was there, had that team for a little bit longer, he would have gotten one. Yeah, so I I envision that maybe this year, maybe next year, it'll be kind of done with the college race. He came and got a mission kind of out of the dumps there when they were there for a minute. He rebuilt them, left it better than how he left it, and he'll probably, I would hope he'd go back to the NFL because I like seeing him. You know who he is? Who? He is is Mark Richt. Yeah, and Les Miles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The two of the maybe not necessarily the way Les Miles loses because his is always either don't call a timeout or call a timeout at a dumb time. Yeah, and he loses because of clock management. I don't. You would think the guy could read a clock, but uh, I mean, I love Les Miles. If he could, if he could have read a clock, I mean, LSU would have two more national titles because um, they were ten and two every year and they lost one or two of them to just dumb clock management. Disappointing. And then <laughs> Mark Rick. Same way at Georgia. Every year he was there, Georgia's nine and three, eight and four, eight and four in a bad year, ten and two. You know, and they lose the big one. So this is kind of the same thing you have happening in Michigan. And if you're Michigan, do you want to look ten years down the road like Georgia did and say, "Hey, we love this guy. He's great. He's a great guy. He's great for our program. He's a great representation of our university." But we're a national championship caliber program, and here's a guy that's got us close every year he's won 10 games and he's been good but we believe that we are in that premier level of college football where we should be going undefeated and winning national championships so do you want to be in that position five years from now because Harbaugh's already been there for a while and oh it doesn't feel like it um do you want to be in that position in five years like Georgia was and look back and say have we just been wasting our time because we could have cut this you know six seven years ago or five years ago and, you know, maybe got someone else in here to try and win us between then and now. And I think Georgia's a little different because they got their prodigal son and Kirby Smart to come back home. Um, and I think Kirby's probably going to win one at Georgia very soon. Uh, but, I mean, you're, you're going to find yourself in that same situation. And it's just kind of you're allowing yourself to be the same team every year if you don't pressure Harbaugh yeah. to make it's- something happen. Is yeah, it's gonna be like has he reached his cap as far as he could do here, and I don't know. He's a Michigan guy, so you hate to see it, but I'm sure he'll be out there between this year and next year. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's tough. Um, all right, we just got a few more things here, and uh, nothing too. I made another nothing too interesting in the Big Twelve this week outside of the Baylor Oklahoma State game. Uh, that'll be a fun one just to toss on. Um, Four o'clock. I don't think there was a lot of great games happening at four on Saturday, so toss that one on. Uh, Iowa State is at Texas Tech. Um, Iowa State started the year ranked and almost lost to an FCS opponent. Um, Iowa State's seven-point favorites in that one. That one might be kind of cool to watch uh, if you like Big 12 football. I like Big 12 football a lot. I, I like the kind of let's just score a bunch of points. I kind of yeah. like it's It's a fun change of pace. In the SEC, you get a little bit of a lot. You know, you get the Big Ten. You get a little bit of the Big Ten and a little bit of the Big 12. You get the Big Ten defenses where things just suffocate you and you get a little bit of the big boy football and you get a little bit of the, all right, well, we're going to, it's going to be physical up front and we're going to try to throw it over your head too um, with, you know, LSU. I think the SEC is the perfect culmination of everything in college football, but I love the little specific regions, how certain conferences have certain identities. Um, and, and I like, I love watching Big 12 football just for that high scoring reason. Um, and then I mentioned it earlier, West Virginia at number five, Oklahoma, uh, at noon on Fox. Uh, that one hurts. We'll probably, I mean, just do unspeakable things again this week. Um, <laughs> K 
Kansas is at Texas, number 15, Texas. I think Texas, number 15, is a, is about where Texas should be. You know, I, I don't – I think that Texas fans think they are already there. They aren't. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because I don't think Tom Herman, I don't think it's time to knock on his door yet uh, at all. I think this is the guy you keep. I, I, I really, truly think that Texas is going to be beating Oklahoma here in the next – probably next year you know i mean the next two years or next year really is where you want to be making big wins but also consistently having you know a good season so maybe one loss um maybe they only lose to oklahoma once next year instead of twice like they're going to do this year because they're going to lose again in the big 12 championship um i just don't see how they can keep up with oklahoma uh and also oklahoma's got to get quit get quit getting just absurd like transfer quarterbacks for yeah. Texas to have a chance. I mean, that's a little unfair for him. But it really is because that guy comes in with all the experience and things like that. And, and I know it must suck if you're the high school recruit that came there under, like, okay, so the guy who came there whenever Baker was leaving, okay, then Kyler comes, all right, cool, whatever. Then that last, this past year, it's like, I, this, as a matter of fact, he was like one of the top-ranked quarterbacks in the country. And he comes in and he figures out Jalen Hurts and is after National Signing Day. No, it was actually a little bit before, but I think he had already committed. So Yeah, like, I mean, that – that does suck a little, but maybe I'd like to see Oklahoma with a homegrown quarterback at some point. Yeah. But also, it's kind of fun to see him keep getting this college free agency type quarterbacks, and they just, I mean, just plugging them in and letting them rip. Um, and I mean, that's what Lincoln Riley's offense is built for. Find me a decent quarterback who can make some plays with his feet and throw air the ball out, and we'll win. And I mean, they absolutely have. So, but I, I mean, I think Texas will be there in the, in the next. 12, 12 to 24 months. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely 24. Yeah, and, and they're they're about where they absolutely have to be this season at 15. I think they could creep up into the top 10 later, especially if they can find a way to beat Oklahoma at the end of the season. But like I just said, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, we're going to move on to picks of the week. So I got a few. Last week was a little rough, two and three, but we're bouncing back. <laughs> free first, money. <laughs> first, first losing week, so we're gonna, we'll be back giving out free money this week. Uh, first one out of Pac-12. Interesting game. Number 12, Oregon at number 25, Washington. Oregon only two-and-a-half-point favorites in this. I mean, I think that's an easy cover. Not going to get a lot of value, um, but it's a safe bet. Uh, so there you go. Oklahoma State. Um, why did I write down money line against? <laughs> I, I take Oklahoma State uh, by four, for their three-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, I would take Oklahoma three and a, Oklahoma State three and a half at home against Baylor. Um, I'm Mike Mike Gundy guy. Also, you're not gonna get a, you're not gonna get a lot of value out of that one if you take money line. But I don't know why I wrote that on my notes. Um, but it's a pretty safe bet again. And Duke money line at Virginia. Uh, I just trust Duke. I think David Cutcliffe has a good program there, and we've seen UVA UVA fall from what people thought they would be. Uh, this year, and they've turned out just to be another average ACC team. Um, and I think Duke's actually pretty good. I think Duke's the kind of team that's a little little scrappy, a little chip on their shoulder. They're also a very fundamentally sound program. Um, and I think they'll get it done at Virginia this week. Uh, UVA is a three-point favorite in that one. Um, LSU minus 18 at Mississippi State. There's no way LSU beats Mississippi State by less than 25. So I think you're you're extremely safe there. Three uh, thirty on CBS. Coach O getting fired up after what he said last week. Uh, 
This is Death Valley, where opponent's dreams come to die. <laughs> Love that. That was great. I mean, just, that was, a, like, he just literally just quoted a, a hype video. Yeah, like, 100%. And there's no way Coach O's ever watched a hype video in his life. So, I mean, that was hilarious. I love that. Great, great little sideline piece. I mean, Coach O's always the best at that. Uh, and then Kentucky, uh, yes, this line is 25 and a half but it currently. It opened at 24 and a half. Kentucky's 25 and a half point dogs at Georgia. Um, I'd take Kentucky there. I mean, they'll probably lose by 25, but I don't think they'll lose by 26. So, and that's all you need. Um, Matt. Are you going to high school again? I will not be in the building, but there are two good games that will be going on this weekend in case you want to go out to see some high school football before Saturday. You have Chester that will play Camden. Chester is 7-1. Camden is 6-1. I'm not too sure about Chester. I know Camden cannot throw the football, so if you want to go see a lot of run SEC Big Ten type football, go ahead and take your talents out to Camden, South Carolina. If you want to stay, <laughs> if you want to stay in Lexington, uh, Lexington High School, who I'm pretty sure is six and one, if I'm not mistaken, we'll play Dutch Fork, who is seven and zero, oh, and that'll be right here in Lexington. All right, we're getting close to playoff time. What they got, like two weeks? I think two to three. Yeah, so yeah, high school football time playoff. I mean, playoff time starts in November. Usually, what the second week? Yeah, something First, like that. Second week. Yeah, so we're getting right there, which that'll be cool. So. I mean, I'm definitely. I don't think I'm gonna make it to a regular season game this year, but I'm gonna find my way to a high school football playoff game. Um, just means more. Yeah, it, it does. It means a little more. But uh, yeah, no. I, I mean, there's a is a great chance to maybe see a kid who you might be rooting for a couple years from now in college, and maybe rooting for a little few more years yep. in the NFL. I mean, the state is plenty of NFL talent. Um, just look around at the guys who came from both of the universities in the state and. Uh, and and elsewhere uh, that went went off to college elsewhere. There's plenty of South Carolina talent in the NFL, um, and actually starting quarterback who went to a high school in South Carolina in the NFL right now. I guess he's injured, Mason Rudolph, uh. but uh, Mason Rudolph from Northwestern, um, which is up in Rock Hill. But yeah, plenty of good game. And there, there was you got both games. You said both games. Yep, yep. Chester, Chester Camden, so. Chester Camden, and then in Lexington County you got Lexington versus Dutch Fort. Yep, that's right. Okay, uh, Lexington and Dutch Fort. Dutch USC also has a uh, uh, what Slade Carroll. He plays U- for USC. He went to Lexington High, so okay, something there. All right, yeah, and then uh, baseball. Little small update. We, we just went straight college football today. Oh, the only NFL thing I had written down was the LA Ramseys. Jalen Ramsey. I know you were kind of watching that, Matthew. Yeah, he, for a while. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know where he was going to land in uh, L.A., but I knew something was up whenever Marcus Peters got traded from L.A. They said he was a little toxic in the locker room. Could be expected because he had problems in Washington. But uh, it's weird. Jalen Ramsey had a back injury. He couldn't play in Jacksonville. Yeah. He'll be suiting up this Sunday. <laughs> yeah, he was on, what, paternity leave, too. Yeah. So there you go. And uh, I saw my uh, favorite um, – tweet I saw about it was that that he just missed his favorite teammate in Blake Bortles. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Jalen Ramsey. I mean, great, great. I mean, the two of them have one of the best years in Jacksonville history. Yep, for sure. Yeah, together. So there you go. Even though they're on opposite sides of the ball and Jalen Ramsey would just beat the crap out of Blake Bortles, <laughs> I imagine, if he, if he even ever like, given insinuated that he was a better athlete, which Bortles would not. Um Yanks and Strohs tonight, Thursday. We're recording on Thursday, so we haven't, we haven't started yet um, at 8. And then they play again tomorrow after they got rained out yesterday, which sucked because there wasn't – had a little fun belt action on Wednesday night when we're at the time of the season. 
October brings the fun belt. November brings Maction. Tuesday night Maction. Um, getting close to Maction here. Uh, Stroh's up 2-1. I think the Yankees probably get one at home. And they go back to Houston. Houston wins at 6. Uh, game 5 is today, Friday. If you're listening to this on Friday, at 7. Um, I mean, I don't have much to say because I kind of watched more of the, the, the games that I really actually paid attention to were... Uh, the, the National League games because I was interested in the Nationals this week or this past week who had swept the Cardinals down the World Series. Uh, I don't think they stand a chance against the Yankees or the Astros. So whoever wins the AL pennant, probably World Series champions. Um, I know we had said uh, our guy Alex was coming on to talk NASCAR today. Unfortunately, Alex had to cancel. Uh, he had something come up that he just couldn't get out of. He will be on soon. Um, and we've actually started lining up a few other guests to have on, so hopefully we'll have um, member the a former member of the equestrian team to come in and talk about that sometime in the near future. Um, I I kind of I'm roping in guests here, and then we got another just just a friend of the program. Um, my buddy texted me and said, "Hey, if you ever want me to come on talk about Pats, I would love to do it." Patriots <laughs> football kid's a huge Patriots fan. And he said, also, I'm thinking about buying the package to Mexican Winter League Baseball, so <laughs> I can talk that. I'm Nick's just full of stuff, so that'll be fun. Uh, and Matthew, your guy Chris is coming on next week. Just yeah, uh, what's his name? Ian. Ian, he uh former... Ian. Yeah, former division something football player. Trump. Yeah, I was wondering, but yeah. Uh, oh, there's another guy, Chris. Okay. Yeah, another guy. He's a basketball guy. But yeah, so he'll be on to talk a little bit NFL. Chris Silva? Uh, I don't know, Lyles, I think his last name. Uh, right. Not Crisola. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> maybe one day. Chris Silva, Chris Silva, if you were listening to the lead block and would like hey, to be uh, a part of the lead block. Speaking of Cox basketball players, Sundarius Thornwell? Yeah. Killing it for the Cavs right now. Is he? I oh, mean, it's preseason, but. Who? Is it right? Sundarius Thornwell. Is he playing right now? the Cavs. Are they playing right? No, no, no. no. Oh, they, like, just in the preseason? He's like leading in defensive stats, like assists, points, everything. That's good to see. It's yeah, from Sundarius. Sundarius is, I mean, people here still love him. But I love him. I yeah, mean, I Brendan's him probably Sundarius fan number one. Yeah, took him. I'd say I didn't take the money on on that league. Yeah, paid like what forty bucks. Joined yeah. a fantasy basketball just, league. Just lit forty dollars on fire. First <laughs> pick with Sundarius. Love the. Uh, yeah, I was going for that young team. Yeah, <laughs> who Tatum, else did you have? Yeah, he had all rookies. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't I mean, work. Jason Tatum turned out to be a pretty good pick. But. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want. So hopefully, I mean, that's cool. Sundarius is, I don't really watch a lot of it, but I mean, you guys know that. But yeah. uh, it's good to see. I, I do like to look keep up with Sundarius every now and then and just hope he does well. See mm-hmm. him throwing up. He, I, I mean, he's going to throw up 100 one night, so I kind of <laughs> have a little faith in him. He was in the Pro-AM that was at Heathwood Hall this summer where you had, like, 7th and Tevin and all those guys were out there. He was going at it with some guy. I do not know his name, but it seemed like they were good buddies. Also, uh, did y'all see Jalen Brown turn down two, uh, four years, $80 million? I did see that. I saw that through your tweet. I'm trying to figure out, like, how much is he yeah. expecting the geese? I know I'm turning down for ages. Like, I don't think any other – well, obviously, they got big money in the NFL, but I can't see paying Jalen Brown. I think he's only averaging, like, 13 points a game. Well, but, okay, when Kyrie Irving gets – since Kyrie Irving's no longer there, maybe I don't know. I I would have signed. Well, they got Kemba, right? Do you think Kemba's yeah. gonna work? <sighs> Better than Kyrie. Better than Kyrie. He's more. I feel like he's more of a team uh, first kind of guy, especially coming out of a program like UConn. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, that's the only. It's kind of like Kemba and my basketball interest 
are the like they're the only thing that the the Gamecocks Final Four run. Yeah. And Kemba and my basketball owners over overlap because the only season I can ever remember keeping up with any team uh, like throughout the year, I happened to just randomly turn on in like November or December, whenever the EA tournament is in Maui. Yeah. And the year that Kemba was there at UConn yeah. and they won the national championship, and I watched them play that tournament. I was like. Oh, this team's sick. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to And I watched, like, nearly every UConn game that was on that year just to watch Kemba, like, whatever their midweek game was, like, Tuesday or Wednesday night, usually whenever they play midweek. And, uh, yeah, and then, I mean, obviously they won, and Kemba was sick, so. Yeah, the crossover. He was he was a monster at UConn. I was one of the better, like, uh, did he only stay there one year? Yeah, I think so. Kemba? Yeah. Yeah, Kemba. Uh, I can't look it up real quick. Yeah, I, I mean, Kemba was... Is nasty with it. Like he was, and also like I mean, I feel like even when he was in, like still now in the NBA, like yeah, you hear about him, but he's not like he's kind of a quiet guy. Like I feel like he doesn't like he's he's not like a big huge name. Like everyone knows who he is. Um, and like I mean, I know Charlotte was very proud to have him. Like he's he, their all-time leading point scorer. I yeah. think now. He he played three years at UConn. Three years. Oh, yeah. Years? Oh. Three years at UConn. So there you go. I mean, obviously, like, you have a guy that plays three years at college basketball. Like, you're, I mean, you can be good, but, like, your name's not. If you're still there, like, you obviously think it's more important to be at that school than uh, in the NBA. Like, that, I mean, that just kind of, like, says the kind of guy like Kemba is, I think. The kind of, like, understated guy, you know, who's not spoken about a lot. Yeah, same thing with Kyle Kuzma. You come into the league more developed, too. I think that's why programs like North Carolina, so they kind of push that. Well, at least not now, but like whenever Michael Jordan, those guys are playing. Cause yeah. like you learn, you learn how to play in a scheme and stuff versus just being a one year and out. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, guys love that. So when you have uh, like, I like that's good for programs. Yeah, like that's 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 what I'm trying to say. Um, Therefore, when you're watching March Madness, you don't know any of the guys on the team because it's a completely different set of guys from last year. Oh, actually, speaking of this. Um, who is what's his? It's um, I'm blanking on the name, but I know his Twitter handle is at ab84. He, the tight end for the Buccaneers. Yeah, yeah. tight end for yeah. the Buccaneers. I cannot I cannot remember his name currently, but he tweets out like two days ago maybe uh, about um, Cardinal Jones leaving or staying at Ohio State because because Cardinal got drafted in the XFL draft. Yeah. And he, like, quote, tweeted a tweet saying that he got drafted or something. And then he says, Cardell staying at Ohio State cost him a lot of money. And, like, this is why coaches shouldn't be – or this is why you shouldn't be pressured to, like, stay at a school. Like, they're trying to control your life because Cardell lost a lot of money because he went from a first top ten pick and he dropped. And, to the fourth round. Yeah, to the fourth round. And then Car- just all-time clap back. Cardinal's just like, no, dude. I stayed at Ohio State because it was important to me that I finished school. Yeah. Like, and I wanted this. And just, I mean, I think the original tweet had maybe 3,000 likes, and Cardinal's tweet had like 60,000 <laughs> the time I saw it. So that was kind of funny. Um, I mean, it's good for, like, athletes need to know themselves. So yeah. if you don't, if you're the guy, I'll never blame an athlete for leaving early. Like, there's a story on ESPN right now that Mina Combs wrote about um, DeAndre Hopkins. And the reason he needed money for his family and the reason he left Clemson early. Um, and I can never blame an athlete for leaving a school early. But it is cool to see guys stay. 
So it, it's just cool to see guys make that decision for for themselves. I, I can't say that if I was a, a high school or a collegiate athlete who'd finish my junior year and a league was offering me millions and millions of dollars immediately, like now, like what? Like you go to college to get a, uh, to get a job. And if you, Pat McAfee explained this multiple times on his show, you go to college to get, to get a job. If you're playing a sport and you get a job making millions of dollars in the next level, you got a job. Early. Why are you still in school? Now you're just wasting a couple extra thousand dollars for, I mean, you're on scholarship, you're wasting the school's money. So why not leave, (laughs) you know? And and why not just say, I'm done with classes. I don't want to do this. I want to focus on my sport. I, I can't not like agree with an athlete like when it's your team and you lose a guy it kind of hurts a little like man dang man i wish you stayed but at the same time i don't like i don't think it's ever right to be upset with an athlete for just going pro especially in high collision sports it's not like the in the body not i don't want to say deteriorates but it kind of deteriorates you know as it goes along so you want to go and get the most out of while you're in your peak yeah i mean i think science has proven that more and more every day like in even like you know like sports like baseball like how many times are you gonna get like if you get hit in the head or like how like how much do you want to put wear and tear do you want to put on your body and baseball guys are like notorious for like like feet just going bad at the end of their career and like little tweak stuff like that just weird stuff and pitchers with their elbows like how much tear uh do you want to put on your body in in that perspective when you can i mean the elbow is a little different because usually you don't get millions of dollars um and uh, immediately and like football especially like we all know like concussions and stuff like how much wear and tear do you want to put on your body to like are you willing to risk millions of dollars potentially to leave i don't think a lot of guys are and again i'm not gonna blame them right 100%. there we go um that's this this week's episode or this today's episode of leave we the block the block friday's episode uh we would like to uh Say a special thank you to Ben Sound for our intro and outro music. We would also like to remind you that this has been a production of Garnet Media. Um, rate, go rate, subscribe, review, tell your friends, retweet, like, comment, like the Instagram posts, follow, tag friends in the comp, do whatever. Um, if you like listening to us, get other people to listen to us. <laughs> so at some point, Matthew and I can, no offense to uh, Garnet Media can get out of this studio yep. and into a bigger and nicer one and maybe make some dreams come true. With nice TVs. Maybe get paid. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be great. Uh, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dad. Um, listen, it's great. Like We enjoy doing this. So Also, get out of some comments, DMs, our personal Twitters. Mine is at Tyler Walter CNR. Matthews is at Matt, the chosen one with the numeral one. Um, yours is the same on Instagram too. Yep. At the lead underscore block on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, DM us on either, um, or just comment on the post or something. Swipe up on a story on on Instagram. I think you swipe up to comment or whatever, uh, and let us know if there's any topics you want us to discuss or any questions you want us to answer, um, anything that you want us to talk about at all, and we will certainly make sure that we do that. And I think that's in. I think that's it. That's all we got. Thanks, thanks, James, for coming in. Thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. Be a team player. Uh, <laughs> any, any last words, man? That's all, man. All right, that's it. Peace.